0: This morning we're going to grab a section of the lectionary from Matthew's Gospel. We're going to be looking at one of the parables of Jesus. I'm always amazed at at uh, every time I read a section of scripture that I was just something that I was like, you know, a, a new unique little nuance, uh, another thing that I don't know that I've ever seen, or something comes to my mind, and and I kind of have an analytical brain anyway, and so I kind of um, look at the detail of things. And I've always fascinated. I don't know if you've been, but. Jesus oftentimes was speaking in front of the multitudes and where there were hundreds and sometimes thousands of people that he was talking to. And I always thought, I don't know if you've ever thought of this, it was like, how did all these people hear him? He didn't have a microphone. How, how did thousands of people, how did he stand and talk and people heard him? And have you ever thought about that, that? I've just been curious. Well, a few weeks ago we had an opportunity to get away as a family and and uh, we grabbed a, rented a house on a lake, and it was an in inlet of a lake, and uh, we were way up on a hill, and it was just a nice opportunity for all the family to come in, and, and we're, just, we're getting used to having grown kids that are married, that live in other cities and stuff, and, and just kind of dealing with what that's like. We got up early one morning, I was sitting out on the back balcony, very peaceful, very quiet, and I just was looking for solitude. And all of a sudden, I hear this conversation going on. And two guys were talking about the fish that they had caught yesterday and what they were going to use for fishing today. And I was looking around. I was going, where are they? I thought maybe they were right under the balcony. And I looked there. I thought maybe they were at the house next door. And I was quite curious. So I just started walking around and going, where are I mean, I can hear everything that they're saying. Well, I finally found them. They were out on the lake. They were hundreds of yards away from me. But I heard every single word that they were saying, and they were just talking like I'm talking right now. And it was interesting that the inlet of the lake, um, because of the water and because of where we were on the hill, it was a perfect amphitheater for, um, for their voices to travel. And so when we look at Matthew 13, that's probably what's happening here, uh, this kind of unique phenomenon that was taking place.
1: That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked out the plants. Still other seed fell on the good soil where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear.
0: Chapter 13 here is considered the third of five discourses in Matthew that that really look at the essence of what's been going on in that gospel message so far and what is about to come. And you're going to see in many of the parables, if you keep reading, um, talk particularly about a warning of a coming judgment that's going to take place where God will come and establish his kingdom and begin to root out the wickedness in the world. Uh, But most of Jesus' followers at that time knew that. That's what they believed also. Uh, they believed that, that God was going to come at the end of time, and he was going to separate wickedness um, from righteousness. And so it, that would not have been a unique thing. So there had to be something else going on here for hundreds and thousands of people to gather. A matter of fact, N.T. Wright, a theologian, says, and they wouldn't have come to stand around a lakeside inlet to hear somebody saying that. They came for quite a different reason. They came because they were starting to guess that the judgment was already beginning and that Jesus was a part of it. They came because they hoped he would tell them more about the way in which one true God was beginning his work of rescuing them from their enemies then and there and wanting them perhaps to help in the process. So Jesus did come with judgment. Um, He didn't wait until the end of time. He came in the middle of time. But but the judgment of Jesus is different than what we tend to think. We oftentimes tend to think about judgment in this negative sense. When Jesus came with judgment, he came to judge those things that were in darkness, to bring them to the light so that they might be healed. We see him talking very strongly about the temple Uh, He spoke very strongly to those religious leaders at the time. It wasn't that he was just trying to point out that they were wrong and bad. He was trying to point out that they were not fully um, doing what they were supposed to do. They weren't expressing fully um, through the vehicle of who they've been designed to be, his heart, and what was supposed to be happening through them.
1: So what if our life as believers is not so much about... How do I try to be good through this life and just hang in there until Jesus comes back and I'm rescued out of all of the terrible things in this world? What if our life is really about being a part of the new thing that God wants to do? What if we're here to bring hope and light and healing to the people that are around us? Today we're going to look at what are some things that God may need to judge in our life, in the sense that Brent's talking about, things that may be unproductive, or things that are hindering us from really reflecting God and showing God to the world in the way that he wants us to.
0: Many of you may be familiar with a highly successful TV series uh, called Breaking Bad. Um, Any of you watch that? This is the guy. Now, I've been accused of, since I'm cutting my hair a little shorter, that uh, I'm kind of trying to emulate him. Uh, it's really not my goal um, to, to, to look like a, a bad guy, but uh, this, if you follow this series, it's about a chemistry teacher who has found out that he has lung cancer. And out of his own fear, out of his own desperation, out of his own panic, he begins to turn bad. And immediately he tries to take life in his hand. You know, matter of fact, most sin in our life, most Times when we slip across the line and when we fail, it's out of fear, it's out of insecurity, and trying to take life in our own hand and get our needs met ourselves. Well, he goes on, and after you know one bad decision after another, week after week after week, he uh, becomes a drug maker and a drug dealer, and and I don't want to spoil it for you in case you're trying to get caught up on the deal. But basically, it doesn't go real well for him at the end of the series. Um, but It's a progression of decisions. It's a decision after a decision after a decision after a decision that he begins to turn bad um, and begins to go the wrong direction.
1: For 30 years, we've sat almost every day with people who have very good intentions but somehow have ended up with their life a mess. Nobody wakes up and says, gee, I think I'll do some really stupid things to mess up my life today. It's a series of little tiny decisions that we make that lead us in the wrong direction.
0: Matter of fact, studies tell us that uh, um, when we exercise exercise self-restraint, that we have greater success at work, stronger relationships, and better, better mental health. So if it's better to resist temptation, why is it so hard to do?
1: Why does chocolate cake call my name? Why is it easier to stay in bed than to get up and exercise in the morning? Why is it easier to um, spend rather than to save? How come it's so easy to just slip into a conversation, into gossip? Well, welcome to the human condition. It's things that all of us struggle with. Paul says in Romans 7, 21, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. When we look back in the Old Testament and you see all of the kings, do you remember that in Old Testament survey in college? And you you would take the test and it would be good king, bad king, good king, bad king, good, good, bad king, good. And every time that you had to answer the question that said, why were they a bad king or why were they a good king? Well, they were a bad king because they'd gone astray and they were worshiping idols. And they were a good king when they pulled back away from those idols and they started following God. We shouldn't be surprised that we're tempted to get off track. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. So how do we live in a way that we're in the world, but we're not of the world? How do we live in a way so that we are truly reflecting who Christ is to people around us?
0: Once again, N.T. Wright says it this way. He says The point is a renewed, redeemed human race that is at last what God meant it to be. The mirror in which the rest of creation can see who its Creator really is, and can worship and serve Him truly. We mention that we hear these stories almost daily of, of things that people have gone through and difficulties that they've gone through. We consider it one of the unique privileges of being a pastor and a counselor, and it's a privilege not because we just kind of get something um, out of hearing human tragedy, uh, but it's because when. Somebody has come to the end of themselves. And you know, we all come to the end of ourself, ourselves at some point. But when somebody comes to, to that place, all of a sudden the mask and the pretension and the cover up begins to fall away. And we all begin to face this real, honest desperation in our lives. We desperately need love and acceptance in our life. As a matter of fact, all sin is, is trying to get that um, in the wrong place. Uh, I was meeting with a pastor years ago, and and if I ever shared these stories, it's not anybody that you would ever know. But uh, he was uh, uh, he and his wife were leaders of a mega, 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 mega ministry um, in the world, and he had fallen into sin, fallen into uh, an affair, and I I was the only person that they'd shared this with, and uh, I spent the first session with them, the second session with them, and it was fascinating to me that all of their energy. Was going into how do we make sure that nobody ever hears this? How do we make sure that that you're the only one that knows this? We don't want anybody in our leadership to know this. We don't, don't want anybody in our church to know this because it would it would damage them. And then uh, the emphasis after that was the wife was trying to figure out how do I keep him from ever doing this again. And she had this idea. She thought, well, I just I think I'm just going to get some of my leaders and. And we'll just kind of make it a thing in our ministry that he's never by himself. That I'll just always make sure that he has one of our leaders with him all the time. It was like, we're going to put him in an armored car. And just make sure that no temptation could ever come towards him. It was actually grieving me because it was all about how do we push this down, cover it up, and protect. And finally, I just said, guys, I, you called me for help. And I've got to tell you, I said, I said we're, you're focusing on the wrong stuff here. What if this brokenness is something that God wants to use in your life. What if because of what you're going through, there's some things that God wants you to look at that can begin to develop some things and some heal some things in your life on why it is that you were vulnerable for this to this in the first place so that you can be strong, that you can stand in the midst of temptation, no matter what is thrown at you, and be able to know why you're making the the right decision. Well, they contemplated that. I think they kind of well, you're probably right, but as we continued to meet, it was obvious that they weren't going to look at that. And so they spent all their energy just pushing it down, and the huge machine of their ministry just took over and rolled on, and it was never dealt with again. It's absolutely the antithesis of what Paul talks about um, in his writings. As a matter of fact, we look at 2 Corinthians twelve seven, and Paul Wrote, third of the New Testament says, Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger, messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight and weaknesses, and insults, and hardships, and persecution, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. One of the strangest statements in all of Scripture His power is made perfect in weakness. When we think that we have um, things together, I can handle this myself, that's the point of pride that it's right before our fall.
1: Many of us don't like to hear Paul saying this. We like to think, he's Paul. Maybe it meant something else. Surely he had the victory somehow. He didn't really struggle with things and didn't really have weakness because we don't like to admit weakness within ourselves. But admitting that we have a weakness, admitting we have an area to struggle with, doesn't make us wimps. It doesn't make us losers. Actually, that's where our strength comes from. It's recognizing that we have issues in our life and until we see Jesus, we will all have things that we're dealing with. It's reality to say, I've got a weakness in some area, or I'm dealing with something. Many of you are familiar with the uh, researcher Brene Brown, and some of you may have seen her TED Talks. She talks a lot about living wholeheartedly, to have the courage to be who you are, to be vulnerable to others. In the studies that she's done over the years, she's found that the people that are the most satisfied with their lives are the ones that have been willing to be vulnerable and open with people around them. They take risks to have relationships, even if they don't know what the outcome is going to be. They choose to live a life that's open and is transparent. So the first step to to living in this life among the thorns and among the weeds and really preparing our soil to have good fruit is to be willing to live a confessional life A transparent life where we allow some people to see the real stuff that is within us. That we let ourselves show weaknesses and show flaws to people. Because when we do to some safe and trusted people, we find out that not only do they love us anyway, but oftentimes they love us more. And there's a healthier life that comes with that. There's a real life. A genuine life when we're willing to open up and to be transparent. Now there's risk. Some people won't get it. Some people will judge you when you're open and you're transparent. But what I found over the years is I'd rather be real and risk that judgment than to live a life where I'm covering everything over and a life where I'm trying to hold everything back from people. There's a really good quote in um, the children's book, The Velveteen Rabbit. It says, yeah, these guys quote, you know, the old philosophers and stuff. I quote The Velveteen Rabbit. (laughs) Generally, by the time you're real, most of your hair has been loved off, and your eyes drop out, and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all, because once you're real, you can't be ugly, except to people who don't understand Once you're real, you can't become unreal again. It lasts for always. Find some people you can be real with. Don't try so hard to cover things up. Build relationships with safe people that you can be honest with. Some of you know that you're supposed to be part of a house church or you're supposed to lead a house church, but shame creeps in as it so often does, and you go, I can't do that. Because if I'm involved in a house church, they're going to know that our marriage isn't going very well. Or they're going to know that I don't know the Bible very well. Or I'm really a shy person. Or my house isn't good enough in order to do that. Take the risk and do it anyway. Open up and allow yourself to be a part of an honest and a real community. Transparency is also important in our closest relationships. We need to live lives where people can see what's going on in our lives. My husband needs to be able to have access to my phone, to my computer, to be able to overhear conversations that I'm having with anybody in my life. My kids should be able to, to open up my computer and look at my history and see every place that I've gone without any concern. I should be able to go to lunch with a friend or go anywhere. And it will be okay if my mom walks in and sees me, or my pastor, or my best friends. We want to live lives that are open and transparent before everyone in our life.
0: Now, This transparency in confessional life is a critical first step, but there's also a second element to this. The next step is we have to guard our hearts. Uh, Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. The idea of guarding your heart is is really about setting boundaries in your life. It's setting these things that separate us. Um, It's what are things that can prevent us from harm and evil, and what are things that can protect us. You've heard the adage that good fences make good neighbors. Um, It's it's really uh, eliminated a lot of of squabbles between neighbors. Um, It gives you this perspective that if I want to plant a tree, I know whose yard it's in, because I've got a fence line there. Um, It sets that to protect and and, uh, to prevent um, harm. Our skin, it keeps out bad stuff, and it keeps in really important good stuff. And so how do we establish boundaries in our life to keep us safe?
1: And our boundaries are all going to look different from one another's because of our past, because of some things in our own life. You know, that's hard because we would really like to have a list of rules It would be so much easier if I just had a list of rules of this is how to do it. Kind of like when you take a class, what do I have to do to get an A? What do I have to do to get a B? We have that human part of us that wants to have it all written down. That's where legalism comes in. That's what the Pharisees did. Here's the things you have to do to be good. But I believe that God has some of the subjective boundaries for us. Now, obviously, there's things that none of us should do. But there's a lot of things in our lives that are subjective. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive.
0: This year is the anniversary where Janice and I um, met uh, 40 years ago. Uh, we were um, freshmen at ORU. Uh, we were three. and uh, uh,
1: Which was a miracle. It was
0: a miracle. And so... <laughs> and so we kind of got to know each other the first year, and then we started dating our sophomore year. And pretty quick, um, I was smitten. I knew that this this was the one. I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her. She was beautiful. She was amazing. She was bright. She was beyond anything that I could have ever imagined. And and yet we wanted to wait until we graduated uh, to get married. And so that was we were going to have pretty long courtship. And so it was going to be it was a total of three years from the time that we dated and then actually were engaged and um and and I knew me, um, and uh, I knew that when I was with her i wanted to I wanted to kiss her, I wanted to touch her i wanted to I wanted to and um, <laughs> um but i but I believed that that God was good God, um, and that when he said... Do, do certain things it's good for us, and when he says don't do certain things, don't do certain things it 's good for us that he that he wasn't just holding out you know holding out on our fun and you know dangling us you know in, in misery and so we really made a commitment that we were going to honor each other physically and, and not be intimate before we got married and, and uh, soon after we were engaged, we had about a year and a half engagement. Um, a few months into that, I had to go to Janice and I said okay, I, I don't want to hurt your feelings by this, but I, I just, I really have been convicted about something that, because I, when, when I start kissing you, um, there's like a switch that goes on, and there's something that just says, go, 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 go. And and I just know me. I, I know, I know, I, if I get started, I just, I can't stop. I, I mean, I don't, my brain goes to mush. I just, I've lost it. And so, I literally need to, now I can hold your hand when we walk across campus, but the most I really can do is this. Now, fortunately, we were at ORU, and we had to say goodnight every night and go to separate dorms, okay? Thank you, Jesus. Um, (laughs) But we had to establish a boundary. Now, that's not a rule. That's not something that I tell everybody that they have to do that's courting. But that is something that God spoke to my heart about. And so for a year and a half, that's where we limited it. Um, each of our, God, God knows, there's, each of us have strengths and weaknesses. The key is being aware of our own weakness.
1: One of the areas that I had to kind of draw a boundary in is alcohol. I come from a, a family that has alcoholism in it and the very ugliest kind, including abuse and some horrific scenes that literally destroyed part of my family because of that, and because I know I could have the genetic tendency towards that, I have decided that alcohol is not something that's right for me. Now, if you have your wedding, I will toast you with champagne. I have no problem with that. If you have dinner with me, I don't have any problem with you ordering a drink or ordering wine. It's not about you my boundary, the thing I'm supposed to do, is stay away from alcohol. And I was influenced by it many years ago. um, When I listened to one of those sermons in college that you roll your eyes out at the time, and then you remember it for 40 years, and you go, oh, maybe that was a good one. Um, But it was Oral Roberts, and he was telling this story of a stagecoach driver. And this man actually was interviewing for stagecoach drivers. And the first man that he interviewed said, I can drive the stagecoach within a foot of the cliff and not go off. And the second man he interviewed said, I can drive the stagecoach within six inches of the cliff and not go off. And the third man said, I can drive the stagecoach within an inch of the cliff and not go off. And as the man was finishing his interviews, he saw a man kind of sneaking out of the back. And he said, sir, where are you going? And he said, well, I just realized I don't belong here. Because when I drive the stagecoach, I stay as far away from the cliff as I possibly can. And he said, you're the man I want to hire. And I realized in this area of my life, since I've become addicted to Dr. Pepper at one point in my life, (laughs) (laughs) it's really best for me to stay as far away from the edge as I possibly can. We need to search God and say, what boundaries are right for me in my life? What are you calling me to do to set up in my life?
0: You know, and sometimes we step away from legalism, which... um, you know, I was raised in quite a bit of legalism, and we step away from that, there's such a freedom in that, and sometimes we feel like we've got we're free now, and which is a wonderful thing. But but sometimes it leads us to not really again be aware of what our limits should be or what our weaknesses are, and and um, and sometimes we then can easily can begin to think that well I'll just I'll be fine, and if I if I ever get a little too far towards the edge of that cliff, then I'll I'll catch myself and pull back. Again, we do a lot, a lot of premarital counseling and we have, uh, when I'm talking with couples that, again, are trying to honor uh, the same things we were trying to honor and wait uh, for physical intimacy until they're, and, until they're married. And I said, to really be able to do that, you have to understand how God designed us and how sexuality works. I said, if you're on a date and you're holding hands and you're walking in the moonlight, it's as if a match got lit. And a match has some heat to it but it's not overwhelming. You can pretty easily blow that match out. But if now um, we're going to, you know, after our date, we're gonna go, hey, let's go back to your place and kind of cook up a dessert. And your place happens to be a private place with just the two of us. Well, the match just got dropped in a wastebasket full of paper. And whoosh, all of a sudden we've got more heat. Now, that could still be put out with some water or flip the wastebasket over. Um, But after dessert, after we fix the dessert, if it's like, hey, let's go lay on the couch and watch a movie. And so, and we're watching more of each other than we are the movie. And, and um, all of a sudden, it's like the wastebasket got knocked over and like the carpet's on fire now. And then we start touching intimate parts. And not only is the carpet on fire, but now the curtains and the whole side of the house have gone ablaze. And what so, so oftentimes happens is we wait, I said, if you wait until you get to that point and you think, okay, we're going to stop now, your house is going to burn down. And so the idea of boundaries is what's the match? Now, we're using a few examples here. You can kind of put about anything in this. It might be spending and it might be um, how you talk about other people. It could be just about anything that we could kind of put in these analogies. But what What's our match? What's God saying to each of us on what our boundaries should be?
1: And you may have areas in your life that you need some help, that you go, I've done all I know how to do to set this boundary, but I need help from someone else. Or I need information. If my spending's out of control, I need information in how I can do my life in a different way. It's okay to get help. That's what being transparent is all about. I'm struggling with this. Will you please help me in this area? In Genesis 39, we see the story of Joseph, Joseph that was sold into slavery by his brothers, and God ended up putting him in a really good job with a prestigious family. Look at Genesis 39:6. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house.
0: He stood strong, he stood strong, he stood strong in the midst of temptation, but eventually he had to run for the hills. Um, He had to abandon it and flee evil. One of the things about setting boundaries is sometimes there are some negative consequences. Because that that act on Joseph's part was actually the thing that got him thrown in jail. Um, Potiphar's wife, you know, may know the story, uh, she made up the story that it was actually Joseph coming, uh, um, coming against me or coming on to me, and so throw him in prison. He got thrown in prison. But because of his faithfulness, because of his willingness to honor God in that, God even used jail. That actually prison actually became the vehicle that God um, used to pull him then out of jail and put him in uh, a high position in Egypt. So don't be surprised if you set boundaries in your life that some other people may not understand it. You may get some negative feedback from it. It may have some, uh, maybe some difficulties um, in the midst of setting boundaries. I uh, work a lot with um, couples where uh, somebody's been involved in an affair and and the person that actually has actually breached trust and has actually stepped outside of marriage, oftentimes feels bad about the person that they got involved with. They feel, um, they, feel they care about them. They said, I actually misled them and led them into this. I was part of that. And I, I want to make sure that they're okay and I need to check on them. Uh, and I say, you know what? You are two people out of seven billion on the planet. There are six billion, 999 million, other people that God can use to take care of that person. You're now disqualified. Um, You have to set a boundary in your life and trust God. And so don't be surprised when we set boundaries that it's not the easiest thing to do.
1: But aside from what God wants to do in our lives, remember he brought us here as his people so that we can do good in the world, so that we can reflect him and we can bring hope and light to people around us. When he tells us to visit the, the widows and orphans or to see those that are in prison or those, those that are sick, it's not so we look impressive. It's not so it's like, gosh, aren't we awesome? It's because we are bringing good into the world. And when we bring good into the world, when we bring hope into the world, we help crowd out the evil. We help crowd out the darkness. I've always loved the saying, don't curse the darkness, light a candle. Now, the world will not be totally restored until Jesus comes back again. But we have the opportunity to bring more good into the world by living whole and healthy lives and doing the things that God has called us to do. In one of my gardens that's alongside my house, I have Shasta daisies. And I love them because they're so bright and cheerful and people can see them when they drive by. But one of the wonderful things about them is they multiply year after year. And they're so thick, that as they multiply, they literally crowd the weeds out of the garden. That's what we're called to do. We're to multiply and to grow in good for the world so that we help crowd out the darkness and the evil that's there. Two weeks ago, um, Chris did an incredible, uh, Pastor Green, Dr. Green, I call him son. Um, It was really bad when I realized he literally could be my son. Um, But two weeks ago, he did an incredible message, and some of you will remember, talking about forgiving those people that have gone before us that have wounded us in some ways and recognizing that we're probably wounding some people in our lives without realizing it, and there's forgiveness for us. And I don't know if you remember, but at the very end, um, we sang the song, It Is Well With My Soul. And as we were singing the part that said, um, my sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord oh my soul. I had all these tears streaming down my face. I'm like, what is this? And I realized that there were some people in my life that had wounded me. And I had forgiven them for that. I had even gotten to the point where I had, was okay if they didn't have punishment for what they'd done. I would release them for that. But what I realized is I hadn't forgiven me for some of the bad thoughts and some of the bitterness I had towards them before I forgave them. And things that cropped up from time to time in my brain. Somehow I could let them be forgiven, but I couldn't let me be forgiven. And I had to realize, my sin, not in part, but the whole, it's nailed to the cross, and we bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. As we've been talking, some of you guys may have had some things that have come up in your mind, things that you've done, things that have been done to you, some ugly things that have come up in your brain. I would encourage you to bring that as we come to the table. Allow those things to be nailed to the cross. Christ died for you in your stuff. You don't have to carry shame. You don't have to carry condemnation. He died for you. So let's see it nailed to the cross. Let's walk on together, forgiven, setting new boundaries, transparent, and living a whole and healthy life with him.
0: Why don't you stand to your feet this morning? Um, Thank you for your patience as we've run over a little bit this morning in this service. Uh, If we could throw that scripture back up that we started the service with. You may not have been in here when we started with this, but this is the prayer of David. And I'd like for us to just, as we prepare to come to the table, let's just uh, pray this together once again. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, we want to be your people. Um, We want to be about your business. We want to be lights in the world. And we recognize that there's transformation that is necessary for that to happen completely. Lord, we we are just saying this morning that we trust you that we trust what you'll do with our life if we open our hearts to you, Lord, and begin to ask you and listen for how should we now live. Make that clear to us. Give us insight into boundaries that we should set and how we should now walk. Lord, And when we say we trust you, Lord, help us in our lack of trust. Lord, we believe. Help us in our, help us in our unbelief. Thank you that you step into this with us. We honor you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor. Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services at 5 p.m. on Saturday, 9 a.m., or 11 a.m. on Sundays. And if you would like more information on who we are and what we're about here at Sanctuary or to give online, please visit our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com or you can download our mobile app from the App Store or Google Play. We hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.